With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello and welcome to the MMQB NFL Podcast. I'm Gary Grimling. And I'm Connor Orr. Connor, we had some very good football performances in week one. We had some not so good performances, but very close games in week one. So I think that's kind of a win overall for for us football enjoyers. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what would qualify as a as a loss. I mean, in general, right? We're we're healthy, uh, we're healthy creatures. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we um, it was raining in the Northeast, but yeah. I got to watch the games inside. And there you go. Um, I made a hearty lentil stew to sustain me throughout the day um uh, and so generally like there's not a there's not a sunday that i finish where i'm like god that's the worst thing ever but this was good like this this didn't even register on the low end of the range this was a high this was a high octane sunday it was uh and and look a stew is going to determine the uh, outcome of most sundays here but uh, this was a good week one. Uh, we have a really good show here. Uh, we're going to deep dive some of these games. We're going to have, I, I don't want to give it away, but we do have a special appearance by Jimmy Traina of the SI Media Podcast. But maybe not in the way you think he will appear. Uh, but we're going to start with a Sunday night game. Uh, I guess kind of a segue because Chris Collinsworth sounded like he... 
I was like half dead. <laughs> he made it through the game, though, this Bucks Cowboys game, uh, and did a, a nice job of analysis uh, in a game that was bit of a sleeper just because, uh, boy, the, the, the Cowboys do not have weapons. And the Bucks kind of ran out of offensive linemen, but just said, we're going to ram Leonard Fournette down your throat for the next three hours. So let's start, even though the Cowboys are obviously the story, I have a few logistical questions about Chris Collinsworth. Mm -hmm. At what point do you self-assess and say, I need to pull myself off of this broadcast because I sound like I'm a cat trying to eat an amphibious creature that I just found in, in a stream <laughs> behind my house? Well, my, my, <laughs> my question is, who's the backup? Who do they call up at that point? Wasn't there some kind of story? Didn't Sports Illustrated do a story about the, a backup announcer? Isn't that a thing? Or is that not a thing? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's not a thing. But at some point, I would have to imagine that there's got to be somebody, maybe a move somebody up from the sidelines. Like, does... does who, whoever... Right? Do you move up your sideline reporter? I don't know. That's usually not the path, though. Sideline reporters don't usually become color analysts. The only reason I know that this sometimes happens is because uh, when I used to cover the Giants, they have a, they have a good sideline reporter, Paul Latino. He's great. He's covered mm -hmm. the team for years. And there was one time that Bob Papa, the play-by-play -play announcer, had to go down to the field to do something. And so then Paul ran up to call the last like 40 seconds of the half i remember okay. that once so i don't know if that's your obvious i mean a lot of succession talk with everything that's going on in england this week but i don't know what the nbc broadcast version of that might look like yeah i don't know you give a one of the amazon guys get like richard sherman in there last minute to uh to call that'd this be one. fun yeah uh, anyways, they, they did, they, they played, and look, Collinsworth was, was fine. If you hadn't, fine. if you hadn't heard Collinsworth before, you probably wouldn't have noticed. Uh, you would have thought he was just very elderly or something, <laughs> but, uh, he got through it fine. Uh, the game was not dazzling. Uh, the Cowboys kind of coming out of the gates like the Packers did a year ago, a team that will probably, uh, I say finish about uh, 13 and four, but they, <laughs> They they just they had no weapons tonight. I, Dak Prescott had no one to throw to. Uh, there was not a whole lot of offensive creativity. Uh, I will say the one thing I'll say in defense of the coaching staff: you're not really going to run successfully against this Bucks defense very often. That is their strength, and if you have to fall back on that, you are going to have problems. I think that there's a certain amount of defeatism, right, in the NFL where I, I, there's got to be coaches, right, that go into certain weeks and they look at their strengths, they look at their opponent's strengths, and they just kind of throw their hands up in the air and say, "There's, you know, I don't work miracles. That said, my counterpoint is you're Mike McCarthy. You're one of the winningest coaches in the NFL. At some point, you got to do something, right? It's the season opener. <laughs> You've had some time to work on it. And there were plays that it just looked like this was the first time that any of these people had seen each other, which is probably true in some respects, right? I, I, I'm gathering that they didn't get a whole lot of reps together, but there was a, there was a screen pass to um, 
to Zeke that was, I think that was towards the end of the third quarter. And for some reason, like he just jumped like right when it came out of Dak Prescott's arms. And I'm looking at this, like there's no timing. There's no sense of rhythm in this offense. And it, it, it just seemed irreparably broken and far too defeatist for the fact that it's still the Dallas Cowboys. And for a large portion of this game, you had Dak Prescott as your quarterback. That has to be enough. You would hope so. Uh, it clearly wasn't on this night, though. Uh, Dak Prescott looked as, uh, even when he got out of the pocket and extended the play, and this is what always worries me about quarterbacks, when you are consistently bad uh, late in the down, it really hamstrings what you can do uh, offensively. Uh, he threw a bad interception that could have been, uh, I, I think Antoine Moonfield got it, but Carlton Davis also could have gotten it. Uh and then he had the uh, the sort of pump fake play where he tried to flip it to Noah Brown, but and look, Noah Brown is not a, a hugely skilled pass catcher, but uh, you have to be able to connect on that. That has to be a you know twelve yard gain. That's a uh, that's an opportunity on a night with very few opportunities. And uh, you know, of course, Dak Prescott leaves late with presumably some kind of thumb injury. This is after a whole week of. Uh, his shoes didn't fit. His new sneakers were were not uh, good. So don't you just uh, hate it's, that? It's just it's, uh, it's just too much. It's too much for this early in the season. Yeah, um, this whole thing was strange. And uh, again, if you're Mike McCarthy, the last thing you want to do is invite in the idea that this could at some point become a rudderless ship. And I'm not saying that it's even close to that. Uh, I think defensively they played fairly well. I, I, you know, very rarely do you jump routes on Tom Brady. They actually did that once uh, much to the, uh, much to the frustration of Brady on the sideline. But all that said, again, <laughs> this is opening night, right? This is, you know, this is like when you walk into I don't know what. Where's, what's a place that people go see plays? Um, the theater. Uh, <laughs> Gary's seen Hamilton. He's much more cultured than I am. Way more cultured than I am. But uh, it'd be like you walking into the. I don't know what's the big playhouse out by you. The Connecticut playhouse. Out by you. That's that's the Bushnell Theater in Hartford. Ooh, Gary walks into the Bushfield Theater. No, and- no, 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 Bushnell. <laughs> Like I said, the Bushfield Theater. <laughs> Gary walks right in, and Lynn, Lynn, one. God damn it! <laughs> oh, this is going horribly. Wait, I'm gonna get through this. We're not cutting this up. Oh man, uh, Lynn, Lynn Manuel Miranda. Yes. Okay, and he just walks out on stage, and he says, "You know what?" Um, uh, in this performance, we needed some singers and we needed some dancers. I got a few more singers than dancers, so so we're just gonna all we're just all gonna lay on the floor and do crunches for an hour. Like that's, <laughs> you know, you're not allowed to do that. You have to put on Hamilton, and yeah. you're the Cowboys. You have Dak Prescott, you have Mike McCarthy, you have Kellen Moore, who's still probably gonna be one of the first head coaches hired this uh, this year. Um, you you got to put on Hamilton. <laughs> what a weird what a weird analogy that was holy that shit. was it was a journey it was a uh it was a journey we um, made it though 
the uh, the Bucks side of this thing, they lose Donovan Smith, uh, their starting left tackle. They're already down to interior offensive linemen. Uh, they were not going to be able to protect Tom Brady in this. I mean, you, you saw Micah Parsons was basically having his way, uh, with the exception of that one really nice chip by Leonard Fournette when he put him on his backside. But this game just ended up being Leonard Fournette. Uh, finished with, what, 21 carries here, 127 yards, a uh, lot of pin and pull type stuff, a lot of Julio Jones uh, in the uh, in the run game, also caught a big pass downfield, but this was power running, and that was basically the only thing that worked between both offenses tonight. Yeah, and what was cool was seeing just a little bit of uh, Rashad White sprinkled in there, um, I, there was like two, there was a handful of good carries. A lot of them didn't go for any significant yardage, but I love the idea of almost just kind of running Leonard Fournette into the ground over the first couple weeks of the season and then having a nice little change of pace back. As we talked about, that doesn't typically work over the course of like, the NFL doesn't necessarily happen that conveniently that way. Mm-hmm. But white, I think is going to be a really nice change of pace back. And in the meantime, you you can just put the miles on Leonard Fournette in games like this where maybe Tom Brady needs a little bit of time to to round back into form. You're worried a little bit about the left side. And the, ne- the nice part about losing Donovan Smith, and there's not a nice part, but your running game was so up the gut and then to the right. You know, you weren't running a ton off the left, even though you were successful running off the left. That was one of the least frequent um, directional running plays that they've run, at least all last year. Right. They almost never ran outside the left tackle. So if you have Fournette going at the at this point, you have your interior working, you have your right tackle still healthy. You can limp through some games if you're the Bucks while you get this thing together. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs... Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. Hey, hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So what about toupees? 
Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, Connor, it's time to go back to the early games on Sunday here. But before we do so, we need to introduce the newest, I'm going to call this a feature, because I want to emphasize just the, uh, I I guess how excited we are about it. But uh, we have a new robot voice, and it might sound familiar to some of you. Steelers, Bengals. It's so good, right? (laughs) It's so incredibly good. And... (laughs) It, the, here's the best part about it. Did did you know this was happening? I knew Jimmy Traina was being sort of pulled into maybe be a, a robot voice type of guy, but I didn't know it would have sort of a, uh, a theme to it. It's the it's the Jimmy Train. Ah, uh. this is it's the subway for anyone who's ridden the subway in New York. I guess they well they have like better voices now, but that's kind of like the old. Uh, uh, the old, you know, beeping voice. Tell you you're going to uh, whatever street you're going to. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. Um, my question is, uh, and this goes back to my tendency to not pay attention to anything. <laughs> yep. <laughs> was this discussed in a meeting that I was not present for, didn't show up for, or didn't pay attention to? Which of the three of these happened, or or did the or was this just like a fun surprise for me today? I Should think, I have known about this? I think you were not there. I'd love okay, to good. say I'd love to say you were there when he recorded all of them, <laughs> but uh, but no, I think you were not there. Connor, it was at your house. How could you not know? <laughs> Jimmy's waving behind you in, into the camera right now. <laughs> uh, so yes, Jimmy Train is helping us out. Uh, he did, if you don't remember from ten minutes ago now. Uh, Steelers Bengals is the game he introduced here, and Connor, I'll tell you one thing. Based on the final score of this game, clearly the Steelers are better than the Bengals. I think that's our takeaway for today. Uh, 23-20 overtime victory. Uh, Really routine game here. Yeah, um, it started. This is how I knew that the NFL season was underway. Uh, I flipped on my TV just a little bit early, and Mm -hmm. Boomer Esiason and uh, Bill Cower were fighting with one another about this game. And Boomer Esiason was making what I think to be a completely cogent point, which is like, hey, Mitch Trubisky's not that good. 
and Bill Cowher just would not accept it. Yeah. Would not accept the idea that like Mitch Trubisky's just an okay quarterback, and they were fighting over it, and it was really funny. So that was the perfect segue into this game that was just weird and gross and inconceivable, and um, but entertaining. Just to tell you how good our chemistry has become, uh, I flipped on my TV at the exact same time. That is Did the you really? First, that is the first thing I saw on television on Sunday was a uh, Cower and Boomer going back and forth. It, it, I couldn't quite tell if it was shtick or not, but uh, but yeah. Bill Cower looked upset. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess he always looks upset. Uh, let's let's talk about this game here. Uh, <laughs> It was uh, five to nothing in the turnover differential. Uh, the Bengals had five giveaways. Steelers had zero. Uh, it's been a decade since a team won a game with a five nothing turnover deficit. Uh, the Bengals were an injured long snapper away from winning this game, uh, either, either with a point after touchdown in regulation or with a short field goal in overtime. So. That was really close to happening. The final numbers are just, I mean, my goodness. Uh, the Bengals had 32 first downs to the Steelers' 13. Uh, you know, net yardage, 432 to 267. Uh, this was a really impressive job by the Steelers' defense of holding on. And we talked about this a little bit in the preseason, how a lot of the Steelers' wins last year came on weird, not only defensive stuff, but weird special team stuff. Uh, it really was not sustainable, and if it was going to move forward this year, yes, you love Mike Tomlin, and you love the way he coaches his team, and, and how he's going to get more than the sum of their parts out of them, but uh, this looked like pretty much all the same issues with last year's team, and... I mean, my goodness, if they win 10 games doing this again, Tomlin can go, he can be inducted in the Hall of Fame in 2023 at that point. What's what's weird about Tomlin, at least this itineration of it, well, I'll say two separate things. There was the, the Bengals drive where they had the fourth and goal, and that is a matchup that they should win nine times out of ten. They have mm-hmm. one of the most talented receiving cores in the NFL, and they have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And there was nowhere for him to go with the football, like absolutely nowhere for him to go. And you have Joe Mixon, right? Like you should be able to make something happen there. But Tomlin dials up this brilliant coverage. Everything is sort of nebulous at the snap. Joe Burrow tries to get a read on it. And you can tell kind of with his body language when he knows like, okay, this is busted. I'm just going to kind of try to force it into someone and and see if I can make a play here. That's what happened. Um, And then there's the flip side of it, which is that this offense, I think, is still, the Bengals' offense is still, I think, a little bit poorly designed in that Joe is still going to take a lot of sacks, not necessarily because he doesn't take the check down throw, but because he's not getting a lot of schemed protection help outside of the five offensive linemen and you can't say oh we got new guys we're just gonna now win one-on-one I don't think your guys are still good enough to win one-on-one consistently and there were plays that we saw a lot of the one sack that I went back and looked at where Joe Mixon just comes out of the backfield he's not involved in the passing game he's not chipping anybody and he's not holding any linebackers so what what are you doing with that guy that you know you only have 11 of these people let's put him to work and, and make him do something so, 
I, I agree with you on every point. Uh, the offensive line was still not very good. I mean, it's a lot of new faces up there, so you're going to have some uh, maybe, maybe early issues sort of growing this thing together and gelling anyway. But, uh, man, I, I mean, there is a significant gap between these two teams talent-wise, and uh, the, <laughs> it was not in favor of the team that won this game. I, I think that's kind of kind of the big takeaway here for me uh you had Clark Harris the Bengals long snapper suffered an injury uh Mitchell Wilcox I believe the uh reserve tight end ended up trying to fill in at long snapper and you know they they end up missing a PAT because the operation is slow and a uh, high snap leads to a missed short field goal attempt in overtime and that's how the Steelers end up coming back and sealing this one and you did see uh Mr. Trubisky made a handful of throws it was a very Trubisky game uh if you have fond memories of some of his best moments in Chicago. Uh, this kind of warmed your heart. Uh, he was a guy who delivered late, but, you know, kind of the, I don't know, first 53 minutes of every game was kind of the problem. Yeah, I enjoyed um, there was a, the, our Sunday sweeps, which for the people who aren't familiar with the industry term, right, is the insiders from every network have saved their big breaking news for Sunday mornings, mm-hmm. and then so they can say it on TV. And I don't know if it was Jay Glazer or Adam Schefter, I forget who it was, but I saw it across the ticker, and it just said, in all caps, Trubisky will be the starter for the entire season. How do you know that? That's not something that you can say right now. That's not something that anyone can say right now. I think Mike Tomlin would like that if mm-hmm. it happened, but we can't say that with any modicum of certainty. Uh, and yet, here we are trying to trying to make this a thing. He played a fine game. He they took the best of Matt Nagy, Trubisky, and they sort of streamlined it, which is good. That's that's what you can do. You can win games in the NFL. I think he could be. Oh, I don't know. Let's not get dangerous here, but like a like a like a poor man's, like a poor man's, really oh, poor. Look, I'm really wait for this. Oh God. <laughs> you know what? Because all right. You know what? I'm just gonna say it. I'm already. Yes. I'm already too close. I'm already too close to the edge. Um, <laughs> like a like a poor 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 man's Alex Smith. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll give it to you. If you look, if you go through Alex Smith's career progression, I think you can draw sort of your best case scenario for Trubisky is probably similar to Alex Smith, where you end up with a you know high end game manager who also has some some traits that you can do some fun stuff with. Uh, if they had you know they mix in some gadget stuff, they they put him on the move a bunch. Uh, it was fine. It was all fine what they did. It's just, it's really difficult to see them sustaining any kind of offense. I think I feel maybe 4% better about this than I did with uh, sort of the, the uh, I don't know, the, the, the like Ben Roethlisberger turning to stone uh, and still trying to play quarterback over the last two seasons. But it just, it wasn't very good. Um Mika Fitzpatrick was awesome in this game, had a pick six, had a bunch of other big plays, and uh, TJ Watt was his usual spectacular self, and then he had a pectoral injury and might be out for a significant amount of time. Yeah. 
Um, can I complain about the Bengals offensive line one more time? Well, the Bengals offense in general. It's not yeah. just the, it's not the offensive line. It's the offense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember that K- Cam Hayward interception in the first quarter? Yes. So it's the Steelers linebackers are all approaching the line like they're going to blitz, right? And then the Bengals have seven-man protection. They have a tight end, and they have a running back who's going to stay in. No adjust, no further adjustments made. It looks like they're going to rush seven guys. The Bengals have seven guys, and they're just like, okay, this is cool. And then Joe Burrow, so you have you have the three be- three of the best wide receivers in the NFL all with one-on-one matchups, right? Let me do my math right. No, uh, there's four guys in the backfield, right? But you have, you have, <laughs> yes. you have many good people with one-on-one matchups, Correct. Right? Yes, yeah, that is me, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go with that. And so you put Joe Burrow through a full five-step drop. There's no audible. There's no check. How are you not just turning and firing the ball towards one of your incredibly talented playmakers? Why are you dropping five steps, which is the deepest drop in the NFL canon right now? Nobody's, I mean, nobody's dropping seven right now, but mm-hmm. you're, 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 you're planting your foot at five and throwing the ball against TJ Watt and six other guys that are rushing the quarterback. That's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so much of this offense is predicated on like, well, this is going to be a problem, but Joe Burrow <laughs> will solve it. <laughs> and it it works. I, I, it's tough to, you know, argue with the result, uh, except for on a, a handful of plays. And uh, yeah, this was, this was, it was shaky. It was not four interception shaky. Uh, out of Joe Burrow today. The the numbers are uglier than the performance, but uh, obviously uh, this <laughs> there, there were some, there's some things to iron out here for the Bengals. Sure. Uh, all is not lost. They're going to have a fine season, but I do think that they're going to need to... We were talking about Joe Burrow in a quick game last year, uh, the year that he got sacked 76 times in the regular season. So let's, uh, let's get to that. Let's, uh, let's, let's develop that quick game. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go out to Carolina here and talk about revenge. Browns, Panthers. So yeah, man, the Browns really taking it to uh, Baker Mayfield, getting their revenge on him for trading him and <laughs> signing a a guy who uh, you know did the things that Deshaun Watson did and then refuses to apologize for. But uh, this game was kind of, uh, it was, a. there were a lot of close one o'clock games that were not particularly beautiful. And this was one of them. Yeah. Um, nobody deserved to win this football game. Uh, but I think the Panthers probably should have won the football game. Uh, now Baker got a bad roughing the passer call earlier in the game and I suppose that you could argue that the roughing the passer call that Jacoby Brissett got at the end of the game was sort of the other part of that um the sequel the sequel to that right it was the evil version of that Mm -hmm. um and then you had the weird fake spike thing where the officials all had to get together and decide how they wanted this thing to turn out but yeah I I thought that Baker played pretty well. I mean, all things considered, he's been there for a month. This is an offense that's run by the only coordinator who would take this job because they're afraid that the coach is going to get fired at the end of the season. Um, 
he looked better than Deshaun Watson looked in the preseason game with Cleveland, and Deshaun had been there for a lot longer than Baker did. And I'm not saying that Deshaun Watson's a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. I'm not saying that. But mm-hmm. anyone who's from Cleveland who's holding on to this is it some sort of grudge match. Like, just get over it, you know? <laughs> like, look, Baker Mayfield, who he finds uh, reasons to be upset with uh, people and things that uh, don't really hold a whole lot of ground. Uh, he, yeah, he could be a little upset with his treatment from the Browns organization over the past uh, few months here. It doesn't really work the other way, though. Um, if, <laughs> yeah. if I punch you in the face and then beat you in ping pong, it's not like, oh, I had revenge from the time that I punched you in the face, Connor. Uh, That's not how it works. Like, you could get revenge on me, but I don't really get revenge on you. I've already done something, uh, you know, for simplification, we'll call it wrong to you. Uh, But yeah, look, going into this one, uh, you know, Baker made one offhand comment that may or may not have been intended to become public about, you know, he was going to F up the Browns or, or whatever the quote happened to be. Uh, it doesn't really matter. And I don't think anyone really drew any extra motivation from uh, the fact that uh, Baker Mayfield wanted to win this game. Uh, but you just kind of his worst moments are when he kind of hero balls it a little bit and he gets a little bit frantic and uh, frenetic in in the way he plays you, you saw that in spots but i felt like it was more it was probably more of a week one type of thing than like a uh i have to be my former team type of thing uh i'm with you i thought he was fine i i think he's you know uh sort of bottom 10 starting quarterback somewhere in that range like 20th best quarterback in the league and that's what he looked like in this game yeah and the um the interception so i spent way too much time i hate browns fans now i really do um and i spent (laughs) i'm just gonna say it um and i grew up a browns fan i spent way too much time in the comments uh while preparing a column that i was gonna write off of that game but for example (laughs) you know one of their complaints was, oh, classic Baker just getting passes knocked down. You guys drafted a short quarterback. You picked him. He was small. Like, they all knew that was going to happen. It's not his fault that he, like, he can't he can't jump a foot in the air and throw a pass. What do you want him to do? And then the interception, they were just like, oh, it's all he does is throw interceptions. It was, it was a sight adjustment issue. Like, you can look at the... Um, whoever that was in Carolina, I think it was Smith that the ball was intended for mm-hmm. where you can see him get beyond the linebacker and then he undercuts the route and he goes flat and then Baker goes long and uh, like almost like a posty kind of route. So I think he just cut it at the wrong angle and everyone's just like, yeah, what a loser he is doing that. And it's, <laughs> do you know how hard it is to, to, to complete a pass in the NFL? He's probably had like nine reps with this guy and uh, in a month. And he just won the quarterback job like three weeks ago. Like, give him a minute. Like, this is this this is not the most egregious interception that we've seen in the NFL on Sunday. Oh man, yeah, it's gonna be. Uh, I, I'm glad this game is out of the way and we can sort of set aside the the Baker versus Browns thing because it was gonna get obnoxious. And yes, the the remnants of the Browns fan base is. Uh, some are realistic. Some realize the the kind of deal they are making with, uh, I don't know, whatever deity you believe decides Super Bowl victories. But uh, boy, 
it's gonna it's gonna be tough to stomach. Uh, Cardinals fans might be off the hook as far as this podcast is concerned. <laughs> we might be done targeting you, but maybe one more time in this show. Well, uh, yeah, you, yeah, you got your come up in Sun Sunday. <laughs> So I think the big story here, 73 seconds for Jacoby Brissett. Come on. Come on, Carolina. Too much time for a professional starting quarterback uh, to put together a game-winning drive. Too easy. Yeah, all you needed were uh, two of the most questionable calls of the NFL season. Um, come on, poor poor Burns didn't even touch him. Wasn't he, his hand wasn't even near his face. Good quarterbacks get those calls, Connor. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, well, so... <laughs> This is this is actually this this is a funny story. I was talking to for the cover story I was ta- that we did in the magazine a few weeks ago. I was talking to Joe Burrow about this, and mm-hmm. there's a bunch of stories about him getting getting creamed his first year in the NFL, and then him laughing about the refs with it and the players with it, and being like, "Yeah, it'll just be a couple of years before I start getting these calls." At what point did Joe Kobe Brissett cross over into the threshold of? The quarterback who's getting these calls. I, I don't know. A lot of people subscribe to my newsletter. <laughs> get it get it right in your mailbox. I, I, I hand write it and photocopy it and send it out to everyone in the league. <laughs> it just comes it just comes with a black and white photograph of you. And then and then it's just like a couple handwritten uh, notebook pages of, of Jacoby Brissett manifesto every Sunday. It's it's mostly poems. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty good. No, it. Uh, look, I'm I'm glad he went. <laughs> I again, I I hope they go like ten and one, and then they have a decision to make when Deshaun's eligible eligible again uh, later this season. Is there a satisfying way that that happens? I don't know, but in the end, right? Like Carolina's going to lose this game nine times out of ten, no matter who's a quarterback. They're a finesse defense. The Browns have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. They have two of the ten best running backs. They have the best mm-hmm. offensive line coach in the NFL. You're not going to lose that game. I would venture to guess that if you and I played quarterback and we had like three weeks to learn how to hand the football off and we opted for like a Buffalo Billy and New England Patriots game plan, that this game would have ended up within 17 points? Sure. What do you think? Yeah. Possible? Yes, I will sign off on that hypothetical. I mean, there's no way uh, it can ever be proven or disproven. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a Nick Chubb type of day. But uh, let's uh Let's go on to another thriller, this one in the nation's capital. Jaguars, Commanders. All right, the Jimmy Train drops us off here. And uh, oh. look... I thought the Jaguars, I, I, I don't want to overstate this, like the Bengals were much better than the Steelers today. I thought the Jaguars were clearly better than the, the Commanders, but this was also kind of a coin flip type of game here. Uh, they let this one get away, though. They did. And I was a little generally disappointed. So Christian Kirk heavily featured in this offense. Mm-hmm. I think that should be the refreshing part for Jaguars fans where it's like, okay, we weren't just we weren't just trying to find guys in free agency that would come here. We kind of knew who was going to work well with Trevor Lawrence within this offense. I think the entire thing looked the way it should and you were a dropped Travis Etienne touchdown away, I think, from from putting this one in the bag. So, I I going from where you came where you had like 
there's a challenge flag being thrown and the entire stadium is screaming at you and your coach looks like he's <laughs> oh, a great somehow moment. like having a like a vertigo attack in the middle of the supermarket you know i think that there's a big difference between where that was and and where you are now so it was cool to see the jaguars in a professional football setting where the receivers weren't running routes and smashing into each other on accident yeah, and look, the receivers still aren't particularly good. Uh, you did, you know, you mentioned, gosh, they had back-to-back goal-to-goal, goal-to-go possessions that came away with zero points, which is just you can't win against even mediocre NFL teams if you're going to do that uh, repeatedly. They had uh, before the ETN drop, there was a Zay Jones drop uh, the previous play. They got the ball back. Uh, they got it. <laughs> They got a first and goal at the 10, went false start, uh, short pass to Etienne, who turned it upfield and immediately had it jarred loose and ended up losing like eight yards. And then eventually they try to kick a field goal and they miss the field goal. And those should be, I mean, what, league average is going to be around five points per red zone trip. And when you have two of them and come away with zero points, uh, that's, that's hugely problematic. Uh, but yeah, the offense looks so much better. Trevor Lawrence, I mean, this might take off. This might be really, uh, really good in the end. Uh, he was a victim of a, of sort of a, a bit of a theme today where, uh, any quarterback uh, with any sort of boot action just had a missile waiting for him, uh, as soon as he turned around and, and that happened a couple of times. But, uh, other than that, I mean, he, yes, this looks like it is going to go very well, very quickly. Yeah, and we remember that that happened. La- like it's om- it's deja vu, right? Do you remember how many boot action quarterbacks were blindly rushed last year, and teams for some reason, well, they weren't prepared for it because no one was doing it. But then it it sort of stopped, right? It went mm-hmm. away, and teams adjusted it through protection. I'm surprised that it happened again this year, and I don't know if maybe the teams that are adopting more boot action stuff just didn't watch what happened last year, or they didn't care or whatever happened but yeah it was uh it was kind of uh it was that kind of day but do you have any takes on the somewhat spicy commander's offense like it looks um not the way i thought a north turner tree offense might look with uh carson wentz at quarterback yeah i i didn't see a spray chart on on wentz it felt like they were really staying away from the deep intermediate throws inside the numbers. I should say deep intermediate and intermediate throws inside the numbers. It felt like everything was uh, going outside the numbers in a way where it was not going to be in danger in any way, shape, or form. And it worked out pretty well. I thought they had a, a pretty cool uh, little connection with uh, Antonio Gibson uh, on, on downfield, sort of a, a receiver route that they asked him to run. Uh, obviously, he connected deep with um, with Terry McLaurin late. Yeah, this is probably how you want to do with Carson Wentz. It's limited in a way, but at least it's limited in that you're going to get big plays when it works. Yeah. Um, who who had him being the second most productive quarterback of the NFL on Sunday, right? This yeah. is a, it was a rainy Sunday though, you know, it was, it, it was a bit of a weird weather day, um, weirder in some places than others. But, uh, uh, you know where the weather was not weird, Connor in, uh, in the dome down in Houston. Let's take the, uh, Jimmy train down there. Colts Texans. 
So another one almost gets away from the Colts here. Uh, obviously, this ends up being a tie game. Uh, whatever. It's, it's a tie. I don't know. I... I the Texans had a chance to go for it on a fourth and three around midfield at the end of overtime. And it's like, yeah, I wish they would go for it because the Texans, but I also get like not giving the ball away uh, for a game winning field goal to the other team. So I'm not getting super fired up about it. The Texans probably feel good about getting away with the tie. The Colts, not so much. Yeah. The Colts are starting to freak me out a little bit in general. How about you? The... The issue they had, it just execution, snapping the ball, <laughs> snapping the ball to the quarterback was a huge challenge in this game, which I maybe that's just the product of, you know, Matt Ryan doesn't uh, really do a whole lot during the summer and they're not really ready to go. But ah, it was it was just an ugly game from them. Are you accusing Matt Ryan of being lazy? Yeah, I mean, the guy just <laughs> he's it's amazing. He's. He's sitting around playing Minecraft on his tablet when he's supposed to be looking at film. Just come on, man. Get with it, Matt Ryan. <laughs> no, the Colts, they... <laughs> the Colts should have put a homework clause in his contract. <laughs> they should have. They should have, they should have made him take a thousand snaps with uh, Ryan Kelly in the week before this game. Uh, <laughs> it, it just it, look the botch exchange stuff. You just kind of say, man, this is maybe symptomatic of some sort of larger attention to detail type issue but it's probably just an issue of new team new teammates week one and that's just the way it goes sometimes i i don't know what else to say about it a lot of botched exchanges today though Pan- panthers game was riddled with botched ex- exchanges there mm-hmm. was a lot of uh a lot of bad a lot of bad center quarterback exchange football today uh how about oj howard connor yeah i mean you know sure it's it, that's great <laughs> you know um I, in terms of the most important stories of the day, I'm probably uh, I'm probably placing it around 120th or 121st. <laughs> but you know, I'm generally generally excited for OJ Howard. I don't know. I mean, you know, how about uh, I don't know what 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 other 2000 what, what what year would that have been? That was the Evan Ingram draft. So that was oh. Let me are think. You, are you trying to come up with another tight end from that draft? OJ Howard was the other tight end from the Evan Ingram draft. I'm trying to yeah. come up with a year that the, that was. What, what draft uh, what year, year was? was uh, probably twenty. I'm going to say 2017. That's a guess, but that sounds about right. Somewhere in there. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's you know uh, good good for good for all those guys. Very uh, very happy for all those guys. But yeah. larger point here. The Colts are starting to – I had such a blind benefit of the doubt because Frank Reich is a really good play caller and I think a, a pretty good human and a good coach. And every time you talk to people, they're like, yeah, he just – he always has us kind of going in the right direction. But now it's the loss to the Jaguars and now you tie the Texans and you can't blame that one on Carson Wentz. And all of a sudden you're just like, oh, what is uh, – everything okay over there? Well, here's the thing that you feel kind of good about. Again, you're probably not going to like lose three turnovers every week on on botch exchanges. Like that's presumably going to to, to get cleaned up here. Uh, they scored 17 points in a 10 minute span in the fourth quarter to force overtime. They should have won it. I mean, Rodrigo Blankenship has to make a 42 yarder to win the game, and he misses. So they almost escaped with a win here. It's you know. 
it, it's like we saw last year. I thought they were better than the Titans a year ago. I thought they were a better team. Uh, they just had too many weeks like this where it was missed opportunities to uh, to gather wins, and those catch up to you eventually. Saints, Falcons. All right, another thriller. We almost, gosh, I was almost. Did you prepping. just call a Falcons game a thriller? Yeah, I mean, I was almost Whoa. prepping. I was almost prepping for a Texans Falcons Super Bowl Man. around like three thirty Eastern time. Did you notice, by the way, that the NFL is trying to? Um, they're trying to juke their YouTube numbers, and so they're um, they're they're making their titles kind of analogous with the more popular titles on YouTube. And so every time it's like Falcon Saints, insane ending. And oh, do they do that now? <laughs> and it's it's one of those things where I think we need to go back and, and get a grasp on the true meaning <laughs> of words and language because an Arthur Smith, Dennis Allen showdown uh, on any planet under any circumstance cannot qualify as insane uh, unless you're talking about the kind of people who spend their lives dissecting it like you and I. It's That's so, the only insane part of this. It's so far gone. I mean, it's just <laughs> so far gone. Uh, I was hoping you were going to say that, like, they changed their, uh, uh, instead of, like, NFL as the username, it's, like, PewDiePie2 or something like that. So they, <laughs> they gather those Twitch uh, Twitch viewers. Um, <laughs> Mr. Which, Burst. Which, yeah, which I, I'm not making fun of because uh, those people are soon the overlords of uh, our industry. <laughs> so, uh, but as far as this game goes, yeah, it was it was a it was a close game. That's kind of what was so thrilling, uh, and it was another one where it's kind of like, boy, the Falcons can't start one and zero, can they? And they almost did, and then they didn't. And uh, I really don't have a whole lot to say about this one, uh, other than. I kind of wish Taysom Hill would would get some more snaps at quarterback. Yeah. Um, here's I'm going to say one good thing and one bad thing about the Falcons. I thought the good thing was there. So what's interesting about Arthur Smith is that he has he was a lifelong Titan before he came to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And so he got some of the cool stuff from the Matt LaFleur era. Uh, but he, and, and that's kind of where he took the the basis of his offense, but he was also there when um, Mike Malarkey was there. Yeah. The Mike Malarkey era. And what I really loved about Mike Malarkey was it was all the pre-snap shifting and motioning. It, he just wasn't doing it at full speed. But do you remember that? It was like every snap, there was like 20 seconds in the backfield where people were just moving back and forth, like like prearranged little pieces on the board. Because they're doing the same things that motion does now, only not at full speed, which mm -hmm. was the obvious connection. But I think what that's done is it's allowed him to kind of do some chess piece thinking there. And there were some really cool things that they did with Kyle Pitts in terms of protections that I had never seen before. Um, so kudos to Art Smith on that. I think that was a neat thing. So that's the good thing. Uh, the bad thing is that if you can't handle four questions post game after week one, uh, we're going to have a big problem here. Cause that's going to be a long season. Uh, your, your, your number one offensive player is now a 32 year old Cordero Patterson. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to have, we're going to have some rough spots this year. It's, I, I can't tell if it's less work 
to do that because it's shtick, right? I mean, it's he's not really that upset with the questions he's being asked. Uh, is it easier for him to sort of feign anger and frustration and walk off after four questions than actually field a uh, uh, an entire session's worth of of you know fairly mundane uh, questions that every coach in the league deals with? Um, but we were talking about this a, a little bit before the show. He got really upset earlier in the week, I guess technically last week at this point, uh, he was getting some questions about Desmond Ritter and how many snaps will he get in practice, and he got really frustrated, and it's just like, this is the team that almost traded for Deshaun Watson. Uh, And if Deshaun Watson were on the roster right now, you'd be getting much, 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 much worse questions (laughs) than you're getting, uh, than like, uh, than how many snaps will Desmond Ritter get in practice this week? I mean, uh, ooh, it's... I don't know, man. Uh, you just got to kind of deal with it. Yeah. Um, I don't, again, it, there's a difference between, there's a difference between markets, obviously, and it could be sort of the tough guy ploy to just, you know, you're 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 slamming the book down and you're saying, okay, just don't ask me about any of this stuff because I'm not going to answer it and then I'm going to get mad at you. Um, but in another market, that's like an invitation to like feast. You know, and so I guess maybe he figures this is just a way to keep people off his back. I don't know, but this is going to be a tough season in Atlanta. However, the Falcons did look cool. There was some neat stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, and there was quarterback center exchange issues. So all of it, (laughs) it's just, it's all there. We just got to, we got to see what happens. It was the perfect week one. It was the perfect week one. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Thank you. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Packers, Vikings. All right, the Jimmy train takes us to Minnesota where, uh, Connor, get this, the Packers over the last two season openers averaging five points per game in those games. <laughs> um. I, I don't think that any Packers fan is going to freak out about this game. I think that the sweeping conclusion that you could draw is that Kevin O'Connell's a pretty good coach, mm-hmm. that he's got a grasp on this thing. The, the Vikings are going to be better than the 8-9 and nine that I projected them to be on our all-272 uh, game predictions. I, the non-sweeping conclusion, the, the Packers are going to be great. They're going to be a really good team. Um, I thought that the loss of Alan Lazard was the difference maker in this one. And I'll tell you why. Alan Lazard is the one, and all of these systems, the good ones, and I'm counting the Rams, and I'm Mm -hmm. counting the Packers, the the truly elite, like I'm going to win 11, 12, 13 games. Each one of those systems has a wide receiver that is ingrained in the blocking scheme that Mm -hmm. that helps set up big plays. Alan Lazard, if you talk to other coaches in the NFL – People love that guy, and they're like, I wish I could have Alan Lazard because he does all of the dirty work. And when he doesn't play, I'm not saying that there aren't other Browns rece- or uh, uh, Packers receivers sorry, that won't do the dirty work, but I am saying that if you lose the guy who's really good at it, what you're doing is you're losing your ability to set up a lot of the things that end up paying dividends down the road in the game. Now... You you have a rookie right who misses a touch a clear touchdown at the beginning of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that certainly changes the, the momentum, the narrative. I think of the game a little bit. Aaron Rodgers is probably frustrated. The Vikings are pressuring him a lot, like the Saints were in the opener last year. All that stuff gets ironed out throughout the course of the season, and you get guys back, and everything's fine. So I'm I'm not worried about the I'm I'm not worried about the Packers. No, and you bring you bring up a great point with Lazard. Uh, his blocking, and especially his blocking in a in a short field, especially down in the red zone, is so key. And if you think about the Packers' red zone identity, <laughs> along with that, uh, it was a lot of Devontae Adams, and Devontae Adams is not there anymore. And uh, sure enough, they they came up short on a fourth down uh, around the goal line early in this one before it sort of got away from them, and uh, it did get away from them. The Vikings clearly outplayed him in this one. Uh, I mean, Justin Jefferson was unguardable, which might be the case all season. Uh, I think kind of the surprising thing was there was just very little, uh, there's very little pressure on Kirk Cousins. Uh, I, you know, I, I sort of stand by my claim that this Packers defense is probably going to be, uh, one of the NFL's elite by the end of the year, but, uh, they were pretty soundly beaten in, in pretty much every phase in this one. Yeah, I started to wonder, and this is, it's probably a little different if you're the, um, if you're another team like with Jamar Chase or Devontae Adams or anything like that, but if if you're playing the Vikings in particular, because 
you know, I had this thought probably somewhere around the midway through the third quarter or the fourth quarter. And Adam Thielen is great. I'm not, this is not, it means no disrespect to Adam Thielen. But Justin Jefferson's had like 180 some yards and you're down and they've essentially put 20 points on you. And Justin Jefferson has had one of the greatest single days for a wide receiver in modern NFL history. Do you just accept that if you're playing the Vikings at one point? And, you know, there are a lot of defensive coordinators that I'm sure um, I just talked. I asked Ron Rivera about this a little bit, at the combine, and he's saying people get embarrassed about big plays. But I'm sure they also get embarrassed about allowing large statistical days from certain wide receivers. But at what point do you just not care? And you yeah. just say, okay, like Justin Jefferson's gonna gonna destroy us, and that's great. Um, we're gonna let him do that within measure, and then let's try to go win the game in another way. It, it felt like they were putting way too much effort into not letting Justin Jefferson beat them. When probably the best part about his game, and a lot of coaches I think will tell you this, is that he's he just wants it more than other players. And if a ball is in the air, he's gonna get it. And over. 60 minutes of time that severely demoralizes your opponents. And there's not a lot that you can do about that. There is not. Giants Titans. Well, this was a fun one for the show. Connor. Uh, boy, Abraka Daniel recovers from, from a bad Red zone uh, interception. He, you know, it sort of sort of got beat up. Some protection issues. Jeffrey Simmons, boy, Jeffrey Simmons is a uh, is quite the player, uh, if I do say so. But uh, this ends up being Daniel Jones getting it done in the end, and Saquon Barkley pretty much looking like what Saquon Barkley was supposed to be coming into the NFL. Can you imagine a more satisfied person on earth right now today than Saquon Barkley? Um, I thought you were going to say Dave Gettleman. <laughs> no. Well, no, because here's the thing. Saquon Barkley ended up sort of dying for Dave Gettleman's sins, right? Yeah. Dave Gettleman drafted Saquon Barkley as the capstone of this masterpiece that had no foundation or no blueprint or no plan. He was just like, here, a franchise running back. Now, now it's working. <laughs> and and every Giants coach that came after that was like, why didn't he help us out with anything else? Like, Quentin Nelson, could I please have Quentin Nelson? Um, but Brian Dable was the first coach to look at this and just be like, all right, you know, this isn't going to be great, but we're going to be able to get him in some space. We're going to be able to move him around. And that's exactly what they did. They got him involved, and they utilized him as a really fast and strong 225-pound person who can beat you with athleticism. Like, what a what a novel concept. Long plays, big plays, uh, two from Barkley, one uh, long touchdown to Sterling Shepard, and they just kind of hung around. The defense is still not... Uh, particularly good but they were they were certainly good enough to uh to to keep this one from getting out of hand i mean it was a 13 nothing game and they came back and obviously they win it late uh on a two-point conversion and then get a little bit of help from uh good old randy bullock pulling that kick but uh but yeah man this is this was satisfying and again it like on top of uh Saquon barkley you had Kadarius tony not terribly involved in the offense but when he was it was just kind of like wow this guy is really difficult to tackle uh you know they they had sort of a broken uh you know wide receiver option pass where he 
turned it into a five-yard gain where a lot of guys would have either thrown an interception or, I don't know, lost 11 yards on the play. So uh, lots of neat stuff here. Was he worth the first-round pick? I, I mean, that's not that's not for me to say, right? And, and, and this is a really difficult place to judge him because of the regime that he came in with, mm-hmm. um, all that kind of stuff. I don't know if he was a first-round receiver or not. I'm not, you know— I'm not angry scout. I don't know these things with absolute certainty. But what I do know is that all these players were used situationally the way that we all assumed they would have been used when they were drafted. And that went for Saquon Barkley. That went for Sterling Shepard. That went for all these guys on Sunday, where it was the first time that this collection of talent together, you were like, oh, yeah, that I remember that. I remember... (laughs) I remember how this thing was supposed to look. And the coolest part about all this, and I tweeted it already, so I know that people don't listen to the podcast to hear Connor read his tweets, but I was just so proud of of remembering this because I'm getting old and I don't remember a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But the momentum in this game turned on an ill-fated Titans tight end fly sweep where they handed the ball to the tight end and he got stopped like eight yards in the backfield. Jason Garrett ran that play with Evan Ingram like nine times last year, and it lost a total of 600 yards. And (laughs) how amazing is it? Like that to me, if you're looking for deep ingrained symbolism as a Giants fan, that's it. That means that that life has changed. You could put that in uh, uh, in our screenplay, but it would be too on the nose. And then Jason Garrett calls Notre Dame's worst loss in uh, <laughs> program history. That one, all... I, I was not invested in that one. Yeah, that's the side. That's like the Better Call Saul side project. <laughs> but it's all true. Raiders, Chargers. So yeah, man, this one was eerily similar to uh, the what game 272 last season where it looked like it was set up for the Raiders to come back and steal this one from the Chargers and the Chargers defense ends up holding up here uh Khalil Mack making all sorts of noise in his Chargers debut what he finished with uh three sacks here four quarterback hits that's a uh, really nice day but I don't know man I just think these are two good teams we've talked about how good that AFC West is and uh yeah, I I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see what the Broncos do on Monday night, but both these teams should be in playoff contention, and I think the Chargers, as I've stated multiple times, are Super Bowl contenders here. You know what play really? Um, and it was sort of a meaningless in the grand scheme of things play, um, but a play that really kind of opened my eyes was first drive the Chargers the Chargers first drive. They do one of those really long, delayed um, zone read handoffs, mm-hmm. like the ones where the court, like almost like the old, um, like a lot of football fans will remember this as, as almost like the Tim Tebow Gators offense, where it's that mm-hmm. super delayed handoff where he holds onto the ball forever before deciding whether or not to give it or to take it. But what Wake Forest did, and I think that's what kind of a lot of these coaches are stealing it from now, is this guy Warren Ruggiero, who's the OC at Wake Forest, that I heard a lot about the last two seasons, really. And he runs it kind of in a, I, I want to say like a 
modern Bailery kind of up-tempo way that's really interesting. And you saw that sprinkled in just a little bit. And I'm not saying that they're going to run this offense, but what's scary is that I think the depth of their influence with Justin Herbert at quarterback, like they're taking on a lot of different things. And that's what the best teams in the NFL do, right? I mean, Sean McVay was, during that first season where the Rams made the Super Bowl, they were part Maryland offense when Matt Canada was there, right? Like they Mm -hmm. were stealing weird stuff from everywhere. And when I saw that, it felt like a little Easter egg to be like, oh yeah, check this out. Like we're, we're going to show you a lot of really weird stuff and we're going to see if, uh, we're going to see if you can stop it. I like that. No, they had, they had things to figure out in this game too. The chargers, uh, Keenan Allen goes down with an injury, uh, ball spreading around to all sorts of guys. Yandre Carter making some plays, uh, Xander Horvath, just a tremendous fullback name ends up getting the first touchdown of the season. Uh, it was a bit of a grind offensively, maybe, maybe more so than, uh, they anticipated here, but, uh, yeah, the defense held on in the end. And again, I don't think there was necessarily anything, wrong with the way the Raiders played this game they just kind of got you know beat by a better team yeah it would be it I think that this was a measure of where both of these teams are at right now the Chargers are x points more talented than the Raiders just on any day if you race them both the same distance from the same length this is how it's going to turn out and I think if you're the Chargers you have to be thrilled that you won especially after the way that last year ended. And while it's a different coach, it's a different opponent really entirely. You won that game in a defensive way. You were able to trust what you built this off season. And, you know, Brandon Staley, especially like you're recruiting all these guys to build this vision in your head of that defense that you brought here. And the fact that it worked in a big spot is, I mean, that's it. And if you come out of week one with just that, I don't think there's anything else you could ask for. Eagles, Lions. So yeah, this was a this was a fun one. Yes, a lot a lot of points here. Uh, Eagles started a little slow offensively, and I don't know. I was kind of wondering, like, okay, what did did Todd Bowles? Uh, provide some answers for Jalen Hurts or something like that. And then, no, the Eagles got cooking. Uh, A.J. Brown, a huge part of this one, uh, ends up having a big day in his Eagles debut, and then they just ran all over the place. So uh, Lions defense, we knew they had a little more work to do, but uh, they were game. They they hung around here. It was a Dan Campbell-ish kind of loss, uh, although I'm sure he doesn't want to play a lot of games in the 30s here. Yeah, um, if, you were to, if you were to play... Well, it's not Mad Libs, right? Because we've been through this, and and I still, <laughs> no matter how many Mad Libs you and I play together, I still don't understand Mad uh, Libs. Yeah, but it, yep. but it, but if you were to ask me, uh, hey Connor, there was an NFL team that was trailing by a significant amount in the fourth quarter, and they came all the way back, and they almost won. Uh, and during that point where they almost won, there was a lot of yelling and screaming, and people were uh, like they were looking like a, like it was a battle scene in Braveheart, but they did not win. Um, what team would that be? And I, how could you not bet it would be the Detroit Lions? Yeah. I mean, there you go. They're, they're down 38-21 going in the fourth quarter, end up getting uh, two touchdowns here. Uh, my Jared Goff uh, pseudo-MVP candidacy season, which is uh, what I termed it this summer, uh, not off to a great start. He was not particularly sharp in this one, but uh, it's a it's a good Eagles secondary, so we'll give him a pass. Uh, but the Lions move the ball 
I don't know. They'll 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 face teams that are not so multifaceted uh, in the run game, where maybe they can uh, really start playing a little bit faster on the defensive line, and and maybe that unlocks something with the uh, the way they built this defense. But it just wasn't it wasn't a good matchup for them. Yeah, and again, if you're in this situation, and I know that Dan Campbell wants more out of this but i really don't see if you still trace a straight line from the end of matt patricia to now i don't know what scenario you could have crafted in your head where this team is more competitive than it is right now Hmm. right is that fair that no that's fair i don't know what coach you could have hired i don't know taking in all the realities of the situation, right? They weren't going to be able to hold on to Matt Stafford, no matter who they hired. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't going to, it's not like you could say, Oh, in this scenario, they signed Deshaun Watson or they drafted. No, like this is how it was going to play out. I don't think it could go any better. I mean, you've activated Deandre Swift. Uh, Jared Goff is becoming a better player. You're physical, you're in games, you're annoying. You're sort of like, uh, NFC budget Titans kind of right now. Like, <laughs> right. right. It's kind of cool, right? <laughs> I, boy, I can't think of many things less cool than being the budget Titans. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, coming from where you came from. Yes. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. Patriots, Dolphins. All right, so once again, the Patriots go down to Miami and the Dolphins come out on top here. Uh, I feel like this game is going to launch just a million takes here. Uh, and I just didn't think there was a whole lot to to glean off of this one. Uh, I think these are clearly, you know, teams two and three in the AFC East. I think they are probably, obviously they're wildcard contenders, but I, I don't think they're playoff caliber teams. Uh, they might sneak in. And, you know, the issue for the Patriots in this one, uh, and everyone's obviously, we talked about this in the preseason, because it's Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, and it seemed to be Patricia calling the plays in this one, uh, you're just opening yourself up to a lot of criticism if it doesn't work out. And and yes, the play calling, uh, especially situationally, was not great in this one. But also, this has been, even going back to the Tom Brady days, uh, they've been able to, when needed, lean on the power run game and some of this gap blocking stuff that they're now moving away from. Uh, They had it going on the ground early in this game, and then it just stopped, and they didn't have it anymore. And they didn't really have anything else to fall back on uh, because of their identity. And at that point, they were playing down 17 points because... uh, that's that's just what happened in the first half. Yeah, and what was confusing to me was it didn't look like because I think right isn't the whole point of well I I'm not asking you I know this the whole point of moving away from gap blocking is theoretically that it's easier to tie your run and your passing game together mm-hmm. and you know it it frees you up on some boot action stuff and it makes it a more suitable environment for a quarterback to to make some big plays. But it did not seem, I did not see a running game and a passing game that looked sort of intimately tied together. That's going to take some time. And I don't even know if they're going to stick with this. And I didn't even see really a, a whole bunch of it. But 
I don't know. It, it did not. It, it it looked like a very sort of punchless offense. I mean, that's that's what we saw. It's just to me, it's not really panic button type stuff for the Patriots right now. It's just kind of okay. This is this is a it's a team that's going to finish somewhere between seven and ten and ten and seven, and it's going to come down to a couple of bounces, and you're probably going to be one and done in the playoffs again uh, if we're getting way ahead of ourselves. But they're just not really equipped to uh, to deal with the blue bloods of the AFC at this point. Um, on the other side of this thing we've been curious to see what the new offense would look like. And I would say it looked like a really well-designed Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shanahan style offense that was operated by a kind of okay-ish quarterback. And that was, that was it. There were some good play designs. This thought that they are going to push the ball down the field, um, I don't see it happening with this quarterback ever, ever. <laughs> like, it's just not. Uh, they'll And they'll do some designer stuff. I mean, they'll set some stuff up where it's uh, you come out of the huddle knowing uh, we've been setting this up for three quarters or uh, in some cases for three weeks and, and you're going to make this throw. But boy, I mean, he put the ball in danger in absurd ways, especially in the second half. And it's just like, you know what? It's going to be quick strike. And Tyreek Hill was spectacular in this game. They got a long uh, catch and run on a slant to uh, Jalen Waddle for a touchdown and a fourth down at the end of the first half that kind of broke it open. Those things will be there, but this is going to be, uh, this is going to be Garoppolo-y. Uh, and that's your ceiling. And if your defense dominates, it can work. Yeah. I would say that um, in the least insulting way like I, I mean this as a compliment right it's like if you were to if you were to test because I'm doing this right I'm not really doing this right now but it's sort of I'm trying to draw it to a recent life experience you have a whole you have a whole bunch of headphones right and you're like well <laughs> through all of these headphones I hear music but yep. then there's like one pair that's like yeah but um there's some weird chip in there that makes the music sound two percent better and then you're like oh okay and then all the other companies steal that technology and then all Mm -hmm. headphones the next year sound mike mcdaniel does the things that make offenses two percent better that everybody steals in a week and then like it's almost like it, it probably sucks for him to be as creative as he is and then to see it all stolen from him but there was some backfield motion stuff that was and I had asked around about this because they used to do it in San Francisco a lot with with their tight ends. Mm-hmm. But he's finding ways to get his wide receivers when they do those real wide orbits. And Tua is almost throwing the ball backwards to them. And then they have the ball with a full head of steam once they hit the line of scrimmage. Like That's why coaches love the CFL. And you're getting the same advantage of a CFL play without you know, doing the illegal backward, uh, you know, forward sprint, right? You're getting your best playmakers with a full head of steam hitting the line of scrimmage. And it's a really cool thing to see all the different ways that he's able to make that happen. Absolutely. Now it's, it's a cool offense. Like I said, it can end up being what it was with a Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco. It can be, uh, on that level, but this, uh, I, I, I just think, 
I, I hate to, I would say I hate to draw broad conclusions off of week one, but what you saw week one was a quarterback who continues when he gets late into the down, horrible things happen. He does not map the moving bodies well downfield. He makes really, really, really poor decisions. Uh, and that's just the way it's going to be. I thought he actually, if I could say something nice about him, as we kind of make this like a therapy session, uh, if I could also say, say something nice about him, he had a nice adjustment on a, a third and medium. Uh, they came after him with a blitz. Patriots came after him with a blitz. Uh, he did not fare well in such situations last year, and he did the right thing. He flipped it to Chase Edmonds. They got an easy pick up on the first down and it was like okay yeah we're we're moving forward here that was a non-panicked uh professional quarterback play but everything else aside from quick game stuff and aside from one um they really got i, I think it was jonathan jones sort of uh caught in a bind downfield with tyreek hill uh on a little corner route but other than that it's just it's gonna be it's gonna be quick game and it's gonna be anything that's not quick game is going to be trouble if you're the dolphins yeah, uh, I would like to imagine someone with a Tua jersey, maybe even our coworker Rohan Ned Carney, uh, who's come <laughs> on this podcast many a time and complained about our, our uh, lack of appreciation for Tua. But I would like to imagine that person sitting in the Tua jersey with their earbuds in and saying, finally, Gary's got to say something nice about our quarterback. And then you just don't. And then they just spike them on the floor and say, I'm never listening to this again. <laughs> I'll just I'll end this with the hottest of takes, and uh, I, I I said this in a very soft voice to my nonverbal uh, infant son. Teddy Bridgewater better keep that arm loose because <laughs> that second <laughs> oh. half was that was that was problematic. Oh uh, and man! I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work out if uh, if some of those very interceptable passes become very easy interceptions as they should have been for the Patriots this week. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Chiefs, Cardinals. And so, Connor, we arrive at the first lightning-ish round of the 2022 NFL season, and we are starting with... Uh, I think easily the most lopsided game of the week, maybe aside from Thursday night, but uh, uh, the Chiefs went out and just sort of, this was a bit of a, sh- you know, shades of what the Bills did, kind of ultra efficient offense here. Uh, I'm looking at the numbers here, uh, 33 first downs for the Chiefs in this game, which is stupid. <laughs> That should not happen in an NFL game. That's too many first downs. Uh, But yeah, they put up 44 points on the Cardinals in Arizona, and this game was not really much of a contest. Yeah, I would say one of the most lopsided games maybe in NFL history, and uh, really a fan base getting uh, what they deserve. So uh, just satisfying all around. Um, And I will reiterate my... Uh, Patrick Mahomes. Well, you know what? Let's freshen this up. Let's give people uh, new content because that's why they're here. Yes. Uh, so uh, I, the Mecole Hardman touchdown and a couple of the other touchdowns, right? Because I think we've watched so many Chiefs games uh, over in prime time. So yes. I think some of the plays are more memorable over time. Yep. They're running the same offense, but with different players. And it still works. You know, it's pretty cool. And like the t- like the Mecole Hardman touchdown was the same thing, right? Where you you get everybody on one side and then you run Tyreek in sprint motion and he's just faster than the other guy and you just throw an easy little outlet pass and he scores a touchdown. Did the yeah. same thing with Mecole Hardman. And I'm not saying that Tyreek Hill's not great and that you're not going to miss him in some circumstances, but I think this is really good for Patrick Mahomes. Like he he's just dealing and he's not going to have the luxury of a deep ball of one of the greatest deep ball threats of our generation, but he's also not going to have, he's going to need to do th- other things better. And I think that a lot of people around Patrick know that if he stops relying on his insane gifts and just applies the basic principles of the offense, he can go from the best quarterback in the NFL to like one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history. Yes. I agree, because if you go back to midseason last year when uh, the Chiefs were considered the worst team in football and everyone wanted Chad Henney to come off the bench and replace Mahomes because uh, they, they just weren't scoring at the same rate, it was execution issues on the kind of quote-unquote routine plays that you have to make. And in this game, for one week, there are going to be weeks where they, they don't execute well and they're going to let some games slip away. That's going to happen to to pretty much any team, and they're going to miss those uh, kind of big plays of Tyreek Hill that can bail them out every now and then. But uh, this was it. This was a highly executed offense, uh, and uh, they just kind of did whatever they wanted against a Cardinals defense that, I mean... 
we talked about it, man. When you have to invest this kind of draft capital and salary cap space in the most expensive non-quarterback position in the NFL right now, which is wide receiver, that's how you've chosen to build your franchise, to build your roster. Uh, it leaves very little for you to build with with the rest of the roster. And right now, they are just undermanned on defense. And no J.J. Watt in this one. Uh, it's going to be potentially really ugly week in and week out. Vance Joseph is really good. I don't know how he's going to solve these problems. Yeah, and and you feel for Vance because I think there are a lot of people who thought he was going to get his shot uh, again as a head coach, but you got to win, and you got to have another good year, you know, and I, I just don't know if... I don't know if they have the horses for it. That's also, I don't want to pick on J.J. Watt, but like, can you believe J.J. Watt <laughs> chose this team? He could have gone anywhere, and he chose he chose the Cardinals? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, just, you know, why would you pick the worst franchise in the NFL? I Well, not, not the worst franchise in the NFL anymore, but, uh, you know, probably like the second or third worst, you know? Third worst? Fourth worst? They're down there. They're down. I mean, Kyler Murray bailed them out quite a bit last year, but uh, not gonna uh, happen anymore. Oh boy. Well, let's uh, let's move on to something uh, not happier, but but uh, wetter, more more moist. <laughs> what happened in Chicago? <laughs> Jimmy Train, take us there before I say more regrettable things. Niners Bears. That was, that was the worst ten seconds of this podcast. Uh, but the best ten. It was the best and the worst ten seconds of this podcast that we've ever done. It's a transition. It's a transition, like when uh, Tua escapes and sort of spins out. And uh, what's going to happen next? Who knows? <laughs> but, but it's not going to be good. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, the, the 49ers and Bears played in a monsoon. I was excited to see this one. I was less excited in the weather conditions, and I, I don't want to make excuses for uh, these strangers who pray, play professional football and are expected to perform at a high level, but uh, it's really tough to have any takeaways uh, off of this, except I will say Justin Fields created some stuff out of nothing, which is probably what he's going to have to do a lot this year. And Trey Lance created a little less out of nothing, which I think goes back to my general complaint about him, which is that I thought that there was going to be more from the from the God-given gift side, you know? Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, I just, you know, and you're right. Fields, you know, by the way, connected on that, um, God, those throwbacks that they do. The yeah. boots way over on the other side of the field. That was the Dante Pettis touchdown. Um, that was like his best play in the preseason, his rookie year. And I remember thinking, that'll never work in an NFL game. And, uh, and man, it worked against Kyle Shanahan, who also called that on Trey Lance's first preseason snap last year. The Almost the exact mm. same play. Really cool. Um, but back to my original point. Fields gave you more. In that game, where that's all that matters, right? It's backyard football at that point. Yeah. It's, it's survival. Um, and I would have, if you would have put those two guys next to one another and you would have said, choose your fighter, I would have taken Trey Lance. But credit goes to Fields. I mean, he, he played his butt off in that game. 
credit the fields, and also we've talked plenty about how bad the supporting cast is. It's bad. Uh, he created. He got a little bit of help from the 49ers, Some uh, uh, some some late hits, moving the ball uh, for the Bears. That's kind of how it went here. Uh, I will say, I'll say this about Trey Lance. I think you saw a little bit more with his legs. Uh, you know, they ran one sort of sprint option that was kind of like, oh, I remember watching Donovan McNabb run that in Syracuse in uh, 1999. <laughs> that was kind of neat. Uh, the one that <laughs> that is going to stick in Kyle Shanahan's craw Uh he missed on a on a Y leak concept. Uh, it was Tyler Croft, uh, no George Kittle in this one for the 49ers. Uh, it was open, it worked, and he just kind of threw it over the wrong shoulder of Croft. And it's like I feel like you and I were you know we're, we're both parents of, of multiple children under the age of ten. If we told our kids that Christmas was canceled, their disappointment collectively would be less than Kyle Shanahan's disappointment <laughs> at watching his quarterback miss on a Wiley concept that that worked. It was there, and Lance just missed it. I think it's a fair take to say that the the drawback with this offense in general is that it sets up it sets up moments, right? And if you don't perform well in the moment, the one singular moment, then it screws up a lot of other stuff, right? And so it's built towards these really big throws that you know are going to be there. But if for some reason something weird happens, and and weird stuff happens on every passing play in the NFL, right? I mean, maybe the wind is blowing weird. Maybe, you know, for some reason one of your contacts moves or something like that, and you miss that throw, you throw everything out of whack. And I feel like, that's one of the disadvantages of sort of those narrative game plans, right? Where you get to the peak of the action and then that one thing doesn't work. And then it's kind of like, Oh no, <laughs> just like similar to what the what we saw from the Packers, right? Where you knew that first throw was going to be there. That's mm-hmm. why you call that play. Um, and when that hiccup happens, it just screws up everything. And then Christian Watson isn't in the game for a while. You know, all this other stuff happens. I think his second target wasn't until the fourth quarter, right? If I, if I have that correct. Yeah. So a lot of that stuff, you know, I think is it kind of stinks for younger quarterbacks. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was the one, though. That was like, uh, this is this is going to be a long day for him. Uh, and the 49ers had the lead, but yeah, they just they couldn't put points on the board, and uh, they kept on <laughs> hitting Justin Fields after he started sliding, and Justin Fields put together enough plays to, to steal one for the Bears, so good for him. Sorry, Bears fans. Ravens, Jets. All right, we will wrap up with... I, I guess contract year, Lamar Jackson uh, going to New York and defeating his old, uh, I don't know, what do you call it, uh, superior quarterback, the man he once backed up, Joe Flacco on the other side of the ball. And uh, Ravens pretty comfortably won this one. Yeah, the only, yeah, the, I mean, this was a day, the day of weird quarterback revenge games. Maybe you could say like one-sided quarterback revenge <laughs> yep. games. I, I, the whoever was doing the pregame reporting for the Jets, they were like, you know, and John Harbaugh said there's no added animosity playing against uh, his former quarterback. And I was thinking about it. It took me almost five minutes. I'm thinking, who the hell 
is he talking about? Because it was such a long time ago, you know? And, um, and I was like, oh, are they talking about Joe Flacco? Is that really a storyline that we're exploring before the start of this game? It's like oh Joe Flacco's goodness. like a friend that John Harbaugh lost touch with after high school, you know, and then they just see each other because they're both <laughs> home for Thanksgiving. And then it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that guy, you know, and then they're both driving home from the same restaurant they were at. And they're like, God, I remember that guy. I wonder what he's doing. That's the kind of relationship I would assume that they have right now. There's no anim- like, let's not even try to make this a thing animosity holy cow yeah uh i don't i don't have a whole lot of uh take on this on this game here connor the ravens i don't know it was good to see the Ravens secondary kind of uh look like a raven secondary which was not the case last year but other than that this kind of played out as we thought it would yeah um one little spicy moment i saw sauce gardner just like knock over mark andrews which i thought was a pretty cool thing for a rookie to do like you'd want to do that on your first nfl game to kind of show everyone you're one of the one of the tough guys but yeah other than that i mean this went pretty much how you'd expect it to go i would say that the jets defense kind of hung tough for two and a half quarters um but and and lamar jackson you know really didn't do a whole lot with his legs, which I think again is, but you know, if you don't have to in these games, that's great. You save your body a little bit. And so mm-hmm. I think all in all, this is a, this is a game that the Ravens have to walk away from and say, this was uh this was good. All right, Connor, we are back with a midweek show this week. And then uh, we're going to do gosh, 17 more regular season weeks. We're going to do all of them. You sure? Yeah, we're just not going to – there's not going to be where, where just no one shows up for the Monday show. I think we're just going to keep doing it. One one day, we're you know, we'll just put complete silence on there. It'll be like the week nine breakdown, and uh, and it'll just be, you know, nothing. The silence that, that, will be our statement. Yeah, we'll, we'll, it'll say th- this didn't entertain us to the level where it merited a podcast. So instead, <laughs> Gary and I – we did, we did a we, we watched little Daniel Tiger together. That's what we did. <laughs> the MMQB NFL podcast is Connor Orr and me, Gary Grambling. We are produced by Shelby Royson. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody, and our senior podcast producer is Dan Bloom. Mark Ravick is emeritus editor of the MMQB. Super Bowl champion Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this feed on Apple Podcasts, and once you do, please leave a rating and review because it really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.